Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. We're going to go right into this tonight, and we're going to start with how things are going to be in the end. I love to kind of think about, I love to think about the beginning, so I love to go into the Garden of Eden and talk a lot about that and think about all the things that started because of the fall. And I love to think about heaven because that's the journey, right, that we're on. So let's start at the end, and then we're actually going to go to the beginning. So in the end, because we're talking about community, I just want to remind all of us that we will be in a community. In the end, we'll be in a community. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 gives us just a glimpse of this, of something that John saw when he had this vision. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I love to think about that picture because I talk to a lot of people. I'm a pastor, so my job is to talk to people and help people. And I meet a lot of people who say things like, man, this would be a lot easier if it wasn't for other people. (laughs) And so I like to remind everyone that we are never going to get away from people. If you're looking forward to heaven, like, finally, I'm going to go in my mansion and lock the door. Right? I've heard some crazy things. (laughs) Guess what? You're still going to have to do life and community. We don't understand all of it. There are some great books about what people think, um, about what heaven's going to be like, but we are not going to get away from people. In fact, we'll probably be more around more people than ever before. So if you don't like people, get your mind right. You're not getting away from people. In the end, we're going to be in a community. And in the beginning, this is such an interesting thing to think about, God existed God existed and still exists within a community. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He said, let us make man in our own image. So who is us? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I just read in Hebrews this morning where the writer of Hebrews talks about God creating the world through Jesus. Who is us? Us equals Father, Spirit, and Son. Father, Spirit, and Son. From the beginning, 
God existed before the beginning, before our beginning. He existed within a community. And then from the beginning, God expressed man's need for relationship and community. I'm so hot. It's going to be fine. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be what? Alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So the scripture specifically speaks about marriage, but it also alerts us to man's basic need for companionship and assistance. So I think we should not be surprised that one of the first things the enemy comes to sever is relationship, is community that one of the first things he comes and he breaks up is this fellowship and intimacy. So what happened? When, when sin enters the world, because of Adam and Eve's decision to go against God, what happens? The relationship between creator and man is completely changed, right? The Bible says in Genesis 3.10, they could no longer be naked and unashamed in God's presence. So that change, they no longer could live in perfection and the peace of the garden, enjoying unhindered fellowship with God. God says, listen, if we keep them in here, they're going to be able to eat from the tree of life. We got to kick them out now. It's going to be completely different because I don't want them to live in this sin state, in this fallen state. But the relationship between man and woman was also changed. Instead of them living in harmony, God says there's going to be now this tug of war. (laughs) Anybody feel that tug of war sometime? Right? Instead of them both working together and enjoying the fruit of their labor, now God says there's going to be pain. And there's going to be toil. There's going to be sweat. There's going to be pregnancy with pain. Can you imagine having babies with no pain? Man, all the things they messed up. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it just a mess. So then about 2,000 years later, after the fall, give or take, 2,000 to 3,000, God chooses a man to build a community from. What's his name? I have nothing to throw at you. Why am I asking you? Abraham. Abraham is his name. (laughs) And here's what God promises Abraham. Genesis 15, 5. He says, Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So God says, I'm going to build a community through you. I'm going to start this whole thing over, right? And so he does that through his grandson, Jacob, which he renames Israel, and we get the people of Israel. And eventually, after God brings them out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, he gives them rules and regulations that predominantly pertain to their relationship to God and one another. The be- we look at it like this list of rules of like behavior, like do, don't, all that. But it was really about more than that. And that's why Jesus can say this in Matthew 22. There's a teacher in the law who says, which is the greatest commandment, right? So he's kind of trying to trap Jesus like they're always trying to do. And in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he drops this bombshell. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says, you can sum up all of that stuff. This is what it's really about. It's about how you relate to God and how you relate to each other. The law was really all about love. Love for God. Love for neighbor. It was all about how the Israelites were supposed to relate in community to God and one another and to outsiders. But have you read any of the Old Testament? Do you, did they do it? Did they love well? <laughs> rare, rare, thank you, sir. Rarely did they love well. God was trying to build this new community, and he was trying to put them kind of on, on blast, on show, whatever, so that the rest of the world could see this is what it looks like when God is involved. This is what it looks like to have a God-filled, love-filled, life-filled community, and they just blew that thing all the way up. But we can't judge them harshly, can we? Because we do the same thing. <laughs> but thank God for Jesus, because when he comes on the scene, he shows us what it looks like to live out these two commands. We see it in the way that he prioritized his relationship with his father, in the way he lived out his life. Jesus said, I only do what the father does. I only say what the father says. He was so in love with his father, and you saw that in his obedience in the way that he lived his life. We see it in the way he cared for the needy and the sick, right? And the outsiders. He was always going out of his way to care for people that nobody else cared for. And we see it in his relationship with his disciples. I love thinking about this. I write, I'm writing about this in my book, that Jesus chose these ragtag bunch of men, right? Like if you were going to get a crew together. This is not the crew you'd get together to change the world. You've got a tax collector. You've got four fishermen. You've got a zealot, right? And we at least know what these six were all about. The other six, we don't know as much about them. And in any other circumstance, under any other leader, this whole thing does not work. Do you, do you see that? Matthew is a tax collector. That means that he is taxing the 11. He's a part of that, those people who oppress the other 11. And Jesus is like, follow me, you know? I was like, what was that day like? Anybody watch The Chosen? I mean, it's not super accurate, but I do like some of the drama. Because they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> no, sir. Like, who are you to come in here, you know? Matthew, why? Then you have these four fishermen, and they're kind of hot-headed. They're businessmen. They're very self-sufficient. And you see that. You see Peter trying to take charge all the time. James and John, Jesus is like, I'm going to call y'all the sons of thunder, right? They're like, should we call down fire to kill these people? Like, these dudes are off the chain. They're not like, see, we got to remember in their humanity, they're not like perfect people. They've got personalities. They're a little rough and ready. 
Then there's this guy, Simon the Zealot. I mean, he would have either been like a revolutionary or a politician or maybe Rambo. He could have been anywhere in that kind of spectrum. So can you see this, right? He's like, let's do it. You know, he's wanting to overthrow Rome. He's wanting everybody to obey the Mosaic laws. And there's just this hodgepodge. And that's just six of them. Then there's the other six. And Judas is in there, right? Okay, so let's not forget that. And then Jesus pulls in all these women. He's just doing stuff that doesn't make sense. But what he's trying to do is build a new community. He's trying to start something different. And he really works on trying to teach them how to be a new community. So let's break down the word community really quickly. So the prefix C-O-M means together or with. Together or with. Two definitions for unity. The state of being united as a whole. I love the mathematical term, the number one. This is what Jesus is trying to build. Together, this new community will be whole. Together, this new community will be one. Here's the truth about Jesus. He didn't just come to die for the individual sins of individuals. (laughs) This is why we have to hang up this theology of all I need is me and Jesus and I don't need nobody else. It doesn't even work like that. When we come into fellowship with Jesus, we automatically become a part of his church, of his body, of a new community that could only exist because of him. It's supposed to be so supernatural. Jesus came to restore and repair man's relationship with God and our relationships with one another. He's trying to take us back to this beautiful thing that God wanted to build. He's building a new community of people that will worship God and live in harmony. And the night before he is crucified, Jesus gives his new community a new command, and this is what he says. He says, a new command I give you, John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must, everybody say must, must love one another. And then he says this amazing thing. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not our politics, our opinions, the way we dress, the way we do our hair. That's not how the world knows we belong to Jesus. It's the way that we love one another. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And I love this because I always like to think about when Jesus is saying this, right? He knows what they don't know. He is about to die for them. That's how much he loved them. So can you imagine them hearing this back in their ears the next day or the two days later? He said, we're supposed to love him. Uh-oh, 
I don't know. I don't know if I want to die for you, Trey. I love you. No, I'm kidding, Trey. I will, I will die for you. Um, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he knew that in order for them to continue to build this new community, they were going to have to have a deep, sacrificial love for one another. Something that could stand the test of time. Because they're about to experience all kinds of persecution, right? It's going to be crazy. And Jesus understands that love is going to be the glue that holds them together. So let's talk about this phrase, one another. I'm going to butcher this Greek word, and I'm going to ask you to butcher it with me. Come on. That's my favorite. Um, it's alelon, alelon. That's kind of how the man said it on YouTube. Alelon, alelon, okay? One another. It's a reciprocal pronoun. I love that. It's a pronoun that expresses a mutual relationship. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, we also enter into a mutual relationship with one another. And that makes me want to cry. I don't know why. Just looking around this room because I love so many of you. That just, something about that. Mm. We enter into a community. And with that, here, this is what we have to understand, whether we like it or not. There are things that God expects of us in the way that we relate to one another. I love this word, alelon. The Apostle Paul used, oh, did I make you say it? No, you have to say it. Alelon. <laughs> okay, just like the man on YouTube. Okay. Um, the Apostle Paul used this word a lot in his letters to the churches. He was trying to teach them how to be this new community that Christ came to set up. And it was so messy in the beginning. It was so messy. Right? Because they're combining cultures they're combining ethnicities. It's Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, slave and free. This is stuff that no one's ever heard of. Some of them have been raised to hate each other, for lack of a better word, right? And now it's like, love one another, huh? Right? Like, we, we reread it and we're like, okay. But, man, this would have been hitting them a different way. So we see this, and Paul's not the only one who uses this Greek word. Peter uses it. James uses it. People, they're using it over and over. In Romans 12, 10, this is what Paul writes. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. He says, you should be treating each other like family. You should be treating each other like blood. That phrase, you know, blood is thicker than water, right? But this blood that we are united by is thicker than the blood that we're born into. This is, this is different. He says, love each other like family. But then he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. We're supposed to be experts at honoring one another. Experts. Can you see just from this first verse how this is supernatural? How if we do this right, the world looks at us and goes, are y'all okay? Like, who are you, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. And again, 
Think about who this is hitting. This is, this is the church in Rome, which is mixed up, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor. Oh, and the rich man is going, I have to honor the poor man? And the free man is saying, I'm supposed to honor the slave? Right? It's different. Romans 12, 16. Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's just, that's a whole sermon in itself. Anybody? Okay. I always think I know everything. That's a shame, isn't it? Am I the only one? Okay, good. Yes. I just like to get, I like to get y'all to confess. So I feel better. Paul says, we're supposed to live in harmony with one another. There's not supposed to be infighting. There's not supposed to be division. Other translations translate that as one mind, full sympathy, in agreement. We're supposed to be simpatico. I don't even know if I'm using that right, but I like it. We're supposed to love one another and, and desire to live in harmony. I was just having this talk with somebody who's struggling with another believer. And I said, you can't let it linger. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to talk about it. He wants you to think about it. He, but you've got to go to them. And you've got to be honest. I'm struggling. Can we talk about this? Because what the devil wants is to put wedges in between us. But we have to fight for unity. We have to fight for harmony. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Again, remember who's hearing this. This is what? Associate with my slave? No, I tell my slave what to do. But now they're saying they're a Christ follower, and I'm saying I'm a Christ follower. So now I'm supposed to, what does that even mean? Right? Paul is saying we're never supposed to be snobbish or rude or classist. And this is why, because the cross leveled the playing field. (laughs) It leveled the playing field. The poor man in Calcutta who gives his life to Christ is equal to the millionaire in America who gives his life to Christ. The cross leveled the playing field. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Paul goes on. He says, therefore, encourage one another. Come on, how many of you need some encouragement sometime? And build one another up just as you were doing. They were getting it right. In Thessalonica, we should be each other's biggest encouragers. We shouldn't have to look outside the church for encouragement. We should be each other's biggest encouragers. Instead of tearing each other down, we should be building each other up. Even when we don't agree. Right? Think about that Facebook post. Before you, the church is this. Before you start typing, just Delete that. Delete it. (laughs) Because we're not supposed to be tearing each other down. We're supposed to be building each other up. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens. Now Paul's going deeper. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I just made a noise with my mouth. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Why does, why, nope. I'm not going to say that. Eddie's going to say, Mom, this is going on the podcast. And anyway, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love this, this word burdens. The NIV says carry each other's burdens. 
I was reading in a commentary, and it said that what the language Paul is trying to use is of like a weary traveler with a bunch of bags on their back. And we're supposed to come alongside and say, hey, coach, give me that bag. I'll take one of those bags. I can see you're, you're about ready to give up. <laughs> you're about ready to throw in the towel. You're about ready to stop right here. But I'm going to come alongside you for this season, and I'm going to carry some of those burdens for you. Has anybody ever done that for you? Ooh, it's life-changing. When you feel like you just can't take it anymore. And then he says this, he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is Christ's law for his new community? Love one another the way I have loved you. The way Jesus carries our burden, we're supposed to carry each other's burden. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Stop talking about each other. As well as all types of evil behavior. I love how Paul just sums it up. He's like, you know what I'm talking about. All that evil stuff. (laughs) Like, stop doing that. That was the old you. When you were part of the world, we can't bring that kind of stuff into this new community that Christ is trying to build. So he gives them an instead. He says, instead, be kind to each other. Kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? It goes a long way. It's rare, isn't it? Let's be real. It's rare. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Destiny talked about that on Sunday. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Do you hear it again? He's saying it again. Love others the way Jesus has loved you. Jesus came to build a new community of people from all tribes and tongues and languages and classes, rich, poor, educated, uneducated X this, X that, right? And when we do it right, it's so supernatural, isn't it? It's so supernatural. He wanted to build a community of people who truly love one another. You know, there's two things I found out about love. It's easy to say you love people when you're not in close relationship with people. Come on, you find that out when you get married. Ooh, I thought I loved you, but now I'm with you all the time. And I don't know, right? You kind of have to, ooh, we should have spent more time together because it's so easy. I just love people. But if you're not in close fellowship with people, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're kind of rubbing and bumping and getting on each other's nerves, you don't know. It's easy to say you love everyone when you're not in close relationship with anyone. But this is what I found. While sincere love can be practiced from afar, it is perfected up close. It can be practiced from afar, but it's perfected up close. You don't know if you know how to love people until you're willing to really get in the dirt with them. 
to spend time with them. Oh, I'm so patient. I'm so kind. Okay, get into a close relationship with somebody who's not like you. And then you find out, I ain't patient at all. (laughs) And I'm not really that kind. And I don't think I believe the best about people. And you start to realize what you're really made of. So how do we live out these one another commands? Here's our level one relationships, side by side, side by side. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The New Living Translation says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Every tick of the clock, his return is drawing near. And as crazy as our world, the crazier it gets, the more we're going to need to be together, right? And this is why Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights are so important. We need to be meeting, meeting together. We need to be sitting side by side in this place. We need to come into this place and draw courage from one another. Have you ever come in here just feeling like, ugh, but then you leave here going, ah, right? There's just something about that. You walk into this place, it's full, people are singing, there's all this energy, and you're like, I needed this. I needed this, right? Side by side, week after week, we learn, we lean in, we grow, we serve. We are stirred up and exhorted, and then we are sent back out into the world. It's a beautiful thing. But really, side-by-side relationships is only the beginning. They only scratch the surface of what Jesus was coming to build. We can't settle for just side-by-side. Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Relationships. We have to get face-to-face and place-to-place. Face-to-face and place-to-place. This is why serving consistently and being in groups is so essential. We need to be looking each other in the eye. You know what I'm talking about. It's so easy to walk through that foyer and be like, are you good? Katray, you good? You're good? Okay. uh But then when we do this, Katray, you good? And I look in her eyes and I'm like, oh, hey, come come on, let's talk. Hey, let's let's get coffee this week. Right? It's different. It's different. When you get face-to-face and you start meeting from place to place, we need to be getting coffee together. Who likes coffee? Raise your hand. All right. Get a date going with somebody in this room, but not a date. Okay, never mind. I'm done. All right. We need to be having lunch with each other. We need to be inviting each other into our homes. We need to practice what 1 Peter 4.9 talks about. And here's Peter using this Greek word, alelon. He says, show hospitality to each other, face to face, and from place to place, we need to group up and go deeper into God's word. 
Come on, Mr. Doug has a group. You don't even have to get out of your bed. It's a conference call. You just dial in the number. Don't even have to take the sleep out of your eyes or brush your teeth. Come, this is made for you. You just dial. Huh? What'd you say? Does my dad, does my dad brush his teeth? Tell me. Anyway, oh, God, what? So, right, there's, we've got some stuff for you. There, there's a way to do it, but we need to do this. We need to be going deeper into God's word together, face-to-face, place-to-place. A phone is a place. Zoom is a place. We can do this. And when we do that consistently, we get to practice Colossians 3.16, which is our word again, where Paul talks about teaching and correcting each other. This is why people don't like to get face-to-face. Because there's something rebellious inside us sometimes, and we know we're not doing what we need to do. And when we start to form those relationships, it's like, hey, sis, saw that Facebook post. (laughs) Let's talk about, right? We start to get into each other's lives in a deeper way, and we need that. On this level, we're around each other more. We start seeing each other's quirks. Anybody got quirks? We start seeing each other's dysfunction. Anybody? Okay, good. Anger issue. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> this is when we learn how to be patient with each other. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.2. Be patient with each other. This is when we learn how to forgive one another because once we start bumping and being around each other, right, there's an opportunity for offense. and things to rub us the wrong way. But I think there's another level. If we're really serious about living an abundant life and becoming more like Jesus, we're going to take, have to take some of our relationships with one another to this next level, and it's heart to heart. Heart to heart. This is where we begin to practice honesty, and I'm talking about real honesty, not fake honesty. And not everyone is ready for this level, but listen, that's not an excuse for us to seek out these relationships. This is where we get to practice, I think, one of the most important one another commands in the New Testament. It's James 5.16. I want to read it in its context because that's what Pastor Craig said, and I am not getting in trouble with Pastor Craig. Okay. James 5.13 through 20. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. All of that's biblical. If you didn't know, now you know. I'm going to slather some oil on you on Sunday morning if you come over there for prayer. Okay, good. Now you're not going to come. Never mind. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, this is huge, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers and sisters, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
before we go to verse 16, let's read 19 to 20 again because it's powerful. I think it shows us another aspect of heart-to-heart community. James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What is James implying here? That we know each other well enough (laughs) that I know when you're straying, that's a heart-to-heart relationship. (laughs) That's deep. That I can confront that and say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I'm here. I want to bring you back. Let's talk about this. Let's examine this. If you don't have a relationship like that outside of your spouse or outside of someone in your family, I'm telling you, you need one. And you need to be that person for someone. Back to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The message says this, make this your common practice. Do this all the time. Think about this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. That word confess is another Greek word that I'm about to butcher. Exomologeo. Don't make fun of Mr. Doug knows probably how to say it right, but I don't want to. Exomologeo. Okay. And I love what this word means, though. This gets me. When he says confess your sins to one another, he is saying this kind of confession is wholehearted confession. Not holding anything back. Wow. Do you have a relationship like that? Fully agreeing and acknowledging that agreement openly. So when you are confessing, you're saying, yes, I messed up. You're not making any excuses. You know what I mean? Have you ever done that? You've confessed something. You've been like, you know, I just went off on her. But you know what? This, she did this. And you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean, right? You know what I mean? And you're like, you're kind of half confessing. And you're really trying to get the person to go with you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you saying, you know, I went off on her and I know it was wrong. I know I messed up. And I don't want you to sugarcoat it. Tell me, tell me what you think. And can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? And James says something supernatural happens when we practice this type of confession. There's a healing that takes place. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14, two of my favorite verses in Ephesians. It says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And that's why I believe the devil wants us to keep things hidden in our lives. He wants us to wear these masks where we don't have any issues and I'm good. This is why I just read a book about pornography in the church, and it just makes you want to weep. But this is why men and women feel like they can't. There's something like, it's so dark. If I, if I, if I say something, what's going to? No, when you expose that to the light, now you have an opportunity to be healed. Now you have an opportunity to grow. Now you have an opportunity to change. 
And the enemy doesn't want that. We need some heart-to-heart relationships. We need to trust God's process for healing and growth. And his process typically involves confession and community. Confession and community. Whether we like it or not. We have to learn how to get heart to heart with people, even on a Sunday morning. You know, when Destiny's up here and she's like, we've got people who are ready to pray with you. I'm just going to, y'all, take advantage of that. I was a prayer person on Sunday, and no one was coming to us. And I kept thinking about all the things that I've been going through during the week. And I just left my husband standing there, poor Dell, and I'm like, I'm getting prayer. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, Destiny goes every Sunday for prayer. And she's not doing that for show. We believe that there's something special, there's something supernatural about saying, man, I had a hard week. Man, I felt like leaving my husband. I didn't, but you know what I'm saying, right? Oh, Dell, are you in here? You're not in here, are you? Oh, you are in here. I love you. Um, but, but we need to get good at that. Say, man, I feel like giving up. I had a friend once who came, and she was confessing some stuff to me, and she just said, man, this is where I'm at. I feel like getting in the car and just driving away and just leaving my family in the dust. And I said, thank you for telling me that. And then we prayed. We prayed. And we walked through that together. Heart-to-heart relationships. It changes everything. If you're not in a group, get in a group. (laughs) Find some people you can trust with your sins and your temptations and your wounds. I always like to remember this. Even Jesus did life with a group. Come on. Jesus could have just been leading the pack. He didn't have to talk to any. Like, come on, let's be, he's God. But Jesus fellowships with these dysfunctional people. He keeps one around to the very last second who he knows is going to betray him. Think about that. He shows us what it looks like to do life with messy, confusing, dysfunctional people, and he did it till the very end. He gave us an example of how to go through life with one another. So in February, I taught on Letting Jesus in on a Sunday morning, I taught on letting Jesus into all of your life, right? I think Eddie's got the graphic. Or maybe, okay, good. So we talked about our inner life, our private life, and our public life. And how God's goal is to shrink those gaps so that we can become a whole person. So that I'm not one person in my inner life. You know what I'm talking about? And a different person in my private life. And somehow I turn into like Shirley Temple in my public life. Like, we've gotten good at that. And I'm saying this from experience, right? We get good at this. We don't really like people in our inner life. We talk about it openly in our private life. But in our public life, we're like, hey, (laughs) how are you, right? We've just learned how to turn on something. And this is why I think it's so important that we get these heart-to-heart relationships. So one of the things we talk about in our house 
is we want to get to where we're the same person in every room. Where I don't go changing just because my environment changed, right? I want to be the same person in every room. We have to let Jesus into every area of our life so these gaps can get smaller. But if we want these gaps to get smaller, we have to let people in too. We have to take off our masks, being one person publicly and another person privately. You know, when I was the kids pastor here, we used to laugh about this all the time, but it's not funny. We always used to tell parents, hey, your kids tell us everything. (laughs) I I don't know if you know. I mean, like, when you're asking the hard questions, you know, like, what would you do in this situation? Or, like, you know, just you're asking, you know, trying to apply the lesson. And the kid will be like, my mom and dad fight all the time. And you're like, oh, God, Jesus. They're about to come pick them up and have to look them in the eye. Oh, no. Right? And the four- and five-year-olds are the best. You're, like, talking about Jesus walking on the water, and they're like, my mommy said a bad word today. You're like, okay. You know, like, what do you do, right? But it's funny, but it's exposing something. Because in our private lives, we can be one thing. And this is why, and you can read studies on it, so many kids don't follow Jesus after a certain age. Because their parents took them to church every Sunday, but then their parents lived a completely different life at home. So is God real? Does this thing work? Were you feeding me a bunch of lies? Right? We've got to get some people in our life who are close enough to us to call some things out. To say, hey, I noticed when that person walked in the room, you started dropping F-bombs. I never heard you drop an F-bomb. Right? I've never heard you talk about people like that. Why were you, you were gossiping. I've never heard you gossip before. Why were you doing that? We need some heart-to-heart relationships. We have let the world enter into the way that we do community that we do life. Well, my private life's my private life. No believer can say that. (laughs) Your private life is God's life. Every part of your life is his life. We've got to get some people into our hearts, and we need to tie ourselves to them and walk the hard road. And I know if you've been burnt before, you're like, I've done this, Clarissa. And then they lied to me, and then they did this. Listen, that's not an excuse. I've had it all happen to me. We are called to do it again. Peter denied Jesus three times. The third time, him and Jesus locked eyes. That always sends chills up my spine. He was calling down curses on his head, saying, I don't know the man, bleepity bleep, bloop, bloop, you know. And then he locks eyes with Jesus. Think about that. But then after Jesus is resurrected, what does he do? He makes a fish breakfast on the beach. (laughs) And he restores Peter back to fellowship. Did he have to? Could he have said, man, Peter, he's crazy. 
he talked all that talk and walked, and he said he was going to do this, and he was going to die with me, and I, right? This is hard sometimes, but we need it. We need heart-to-heart relationships. If we want the gaps to get smaller, we have to let people in too. Really quickly, three things that all of these levels of relationships require. Number one, consistency. Consistency. When Pastor Philip and Destiny are trying to encourage us to be in church, they're not doing it so we can have good numbers or whatever. They're doing it because they know if you will be here consistently, it will be better for you, right? We need to be meeting with people. We're going to throw up our websites for our groups and our community tables here at the end. If you're not already meeting with people regularly, other believers, just get into a group. Get into a community table. Do it consistently. Number two, we need some diversity. Let's take a note out of Jesus' book. Come on, let's get us a ragtag crew too. Let's get us a crew that doesn't make sense. You know, it's so easy. Jesus talks about this in the, no, I don't know if it's the Sermon on the Mount. I might be saying that wrong. But he says, it's easy to love people who love you, right? It's so easy to be like, I'm a loving person when everybody who's in your circle is just like you, thinks like you, votes like you, looks like you, right? But when you get some diversity in your life, you find out what you're made of. You learn some things you didn't know. Your worldview is about this small. My worldview is about this small. But when we get diversity in our lives, it broadens. You know, Mr. I'm just going to keep picking on you, Mr. Doug. But um, he works with people in Africa and all over the world. And I always love the emails that he sends because to me it shows the love and relationship that he has with all of those people. Now, they're in another part of the world. He lives over here in a suburb in Boulder City, right? But there's something about that diversity that changes you, that helps you to understand God's heart for the world. I always tell people, if you're going to start a group, don't be like, I just want young moms. I mean, that's fine. But I just have always grown in rooms where people were like, there's an 80-year-old and then there's a 14-year-old, you know? There's something about the perspective of having everyone at the table or in the Zoom, which I'm in the Zoom with so many of these beautiful ladies on Tuesday nights. Third thing, honesty. Ooh, we need it. Don't we need it, y'all? Listen, the, the devil, he's the liar. He's the deceiver. And every time we lie to ourselves or to each other, we're just playing into his hands. I love Ephesians 4.25. It's our Greek word one more time, and I'm not going to say it. He says, stop lying to each other. Thank you, Paul. Put it more plain. Tell the truth. But here's why. He says, for we are parts of each other. And when we lie to each other, we are hurting ourselves. We have to learn how to be open and honest with each other because when we are dishonest, we are not only hurting ourselves, we are hurting each other. We are a part of each other. 
We have to take off our masks. We have to stop hiding. We have to learn how to live in unity and harmony with other believers. We have to learn how to love one another for real. Because what did Jesus say? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So a few action items. Just keep coming on Sunday mornings. Keep coming on Sunday night, Wednesday nights, or Sunday nights. Pastor Craig has a group. They eat Thanksgiving dinner. That's how I like to advertise it every single Sunday night. So if, you, if you're hungry and you want to come to the church, Pastor Craig's got a group. They are really, they're going through the book of John, and there's several different teachers, and I hear it is amazing. And I would be here if I didn't have my own group on Sunday nights. If you want to be with a bunch of wild people on Sunday nights and watch Sunday night football. <laughs> oh, sorry. Cowboys first broken near September 11th. You can come to my house. Okay, sorry. Pray for me, though, because then you'll get to see my private life, and you'll be like, you are not saved. No, I'm kidding. It'll, it's fine. Um, but every other Sunday at my house, we're eating. We're watching football. Kids are in the pool watching Disney movies, whatever. It's, it's amazing. Mr. Doug's about to start the book of Ephesians on his conference call. We have a ladies' group that's starting up in September. Esther Panabaker is leading that. Some of you know she wrote a book last year, so she's starting up a group, right? There's community tables that are meeting and just kind of hanging out together. And then there's these neighborhood parties we're about to start. The Moffats are having a neighborhood party, and I don't live in Green Acres, but I'm thinking about coming because I hear y'all throw a good party. Okay, sorry. And I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> start serving. You know, I mean, that's how I grew. I went to Sunday school because we used to have Sunday school upstairs <laughs> a long time ago. I'm this young, single mom. I don't know nobody. I don't know nothing. And I'm in there with all these older people like my dad. Yes, I said it. And learning so much, it grounded me in my faith. And then I started singing in the choir. Can you believe we had a choir? And we had robes. And, I, and Dale used to say I looked like a, a little afro going back and forth, right? <laughs> then I started serving as students. And I'm telling you, it's just the journey. And I became a part of this community. Because that's what happens when you really consistently serve. You become a part of your church, your community. Come to freedom class in October. Who, who went through freedom class last time? Our, our, oh, come on. It was amazing. Freedom class. We're starting it back October 5th. It's going to be back in the team room. Six weeks. One of the best parts of Freedom Class, we actually had some people record their testimonies at a Freedom Class, and we're going to be showing them on a Sunday morning. And almost every single one of them said, my favorite part was the teaching was great, but I loved our discussion at the tables. Because every se session, we stop, and people get to talk to each other at the table. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And then Eddie's going to put up, take a picture of that if you're not already in something. If you want to start a group or a community table, talk to me after this. I will get you set up. We will get this thing going. It will be awesome. Bottom line, we need each other. We need each other. Listen, the enemy will never stop trying to divide us. <laughs> he will never stop trying to get us to wear masks and to be fake. That was Judas's problem. 
I love studying Judas. I'm trying to get into this dude's head. How did you walk with Jesus all that time and not be changed? You can do it. You can fake it. But if you will start getting into real fellowship with other believers, it'll get harder and harder to fake it. Because somebody's going to see behind that mask. We need community. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.